Well, good morning. Good to see you. Happy Mother's Day to our moms and mom-type figures, coaches, mentors, nurses, the people that take care of us when we're ill. You guys, you moms, have the hardest job in the world. I remember seeing a video a couple years ago about Mother's Day and there's these people that were interviewing for this job that they didn't actually know what the job was. It's like, it's, it's 168 hours a week. Like, what? And it's, it's non-stop laundry and it's non-stop looking after somebody who's not you and there's other things you've got to do and you've also got to be a taxi service. Like, this is an unrealistic expectation for a job. Like, well, your mom does it. And they're like, oh, I get it. So thank you, moms, for doing what you do for us. I'm wearing a jacket today, which is new for me. Yeah, thanks. Uh, because my mom is here and, uh, and because it's, it's appropriate that I respect my mother. Uh, we are in this study of the book of Ephesians, and we are continuing on. Uh, this is a tough passage. This is one of those tough ones. I had a tough one a couple weeks ago. Pastor Charles graciously let me have this one as well. And so we're just going to walk right through it. This is God's word to us. And I hope that you are prepared to accept everything that God has to say to his people. We're talking about the mystery of marriage. Marriage is one of those things that which our Western society has done an about-face on. They have seen marriage as something that is either outdated or unhelpful. And because of the Western society in which we find ourselves in, the, the very distinctiveness is between a male and a female are becoming more and more separated by trying to make them more and more the same. And so this is not only unhelpful, for us to understand what God actually designs for marriage, it conflicts with everything that God has actually said marriage should be. And so this passage of, of Ephesians chapter 5 is the very foundational passage of what it means to live a Christian marriage. So would you stand as I read from Ephesians 5, as we give God the honor to his word, and hold your rocks for after I'm done reading it. Wives, submit to your own husbands as you do to the Lord. For the husband is the head of his wife in the same way that Jesus is the head of the church, his body of which Jesus himself is its savior. Now as the church submits to Christ, so also wives should submit to their husbands in everything. Husbands, love your wives just as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her. He did this to make her holy, cleansing her by washing with water and through the word, and to present her to himself as the radiant church, without stain or wrinkle or any other blemish, but to present her as holy and blameless. In the same way, husbands ought to love their wives as their own bodies, for he who loves his wife loves himself. After all, no one ever hated their own body, but they feed and care for their body as Jesus does for the church, for we are members of Christ's body. And for this reason, a man will leave his father and mother and be united to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. This is a profound mystery. And I'm talking about Christ and the church. However, each one of you also, husbands, must love your wife as, she, as he loves himself. And the wife must respect her husband. Praise God for his word. You may be seated. So we're going to look through this because I believe that Ephesians 5, 22 through 33 as a foundational text of what it means to live a Christian marriage shows us how marriages ought to flourish in Christ. This is the qualifier. In Jesus is the qualifier. Christian marriages only function when we are in Christ as Lord and as head. 
So we're going to dive into these passages today, and I hope that you see the mystery of this gospel principle unfold. Paul starts with, wives, submit to your own husbands. But he adds a qualifier, as to the Lord. Now, it'd be very, very easy in a patriarchal, Greco-Roman, first century context for Paul to just say, wives, submit to your husbands, because women were unfortunately seen more as property than as people. But what Paul is doing here, he's actually elevating the value of women in this first century culture. He's saying to these wives, wives, you're to submit to your own husbands, which was the practice of the day, but you're supposed to do so as you are in the process of doing it to the Lord, in the same way that you would submit to the headship and leadership of Jesus. This is a command to Christian wives, not a questionable suggestion. But what is submission here, though? Submission, while we would look at it in our context, kind of seems like it's, it's a putting under, or it's, it's a devaluing, or it's a, a, an issue of disrespect, but that's not at all the case. Submission is the word, Greek word hypotasso, which means the willing, coming under, to support. That's the goal. So wives, you are to come, willingly come under your husbands in order to support their leadership as head in the same way that Jesus does for the church. So it's, it's actually a building on of the previous passage of, of Ephesians chapter 5, verse 21, where it says Paul, Paul commands us that we are to submit to one another out of holy fear of Jesus. He then moves into this very important, the very first institution that God ever gave humanity, marriage. And so to live a spirit-filled marriage is to live out these principles. And so wives can live out their spirit-given principles by submitting in the same way that they do to their husbands. Now, I understand instantaneously that the room got quiet as soon as I said that. It's not, it's not lost on me. But the reason that it gets quiet is because it goes against our cultural narrative. Not because it's actually God's good design for human flourishing. But let me make this abundantly clear. Wives, you are no less than your husband because you are called to submit. You're not less valuable than your husband because you're called to submit to their headship and leadership. This is the glorious purpose for what Jesus has called you in order to, in order to reflect Jesus and the church. And so as Paul raises the value of women, he continues on in the statement saying, because the head, or for, the husband is the head of his wife, even as Jesus is the head of the church. Now this word head is used, and it's the word in Greek, kafale, and that means leader. It doesn't mean more important. It doesn't mean foremost. It doesn't mean more valuable. It means leader of your wife in the same way that Jesus is the leader of the church. It's the same word that's used. Paul isn't trying to make a distinction. He's trying to say that your marriage is supposed to reflect Christ in the church. And because Jesus is the head of his church, which is his body, so also the wife is part of her husband's body. And we see that very from the, right at the beginning in Genesis chapter 2. It does not mean that the husband is given more deserving dignity or respect than his wife, just that he is to be the leader and head in the same way that Jesus is the leader and head as the church. But there's an important distinction that needs to be made here. It'd be easiest for us to think like, okay, so that's, that's the way that this worked in that culture, and we're not supposed to really apply everything to our culture. Well, we need to apply it to our culture because this is God's command for marriage. But it's actually built on something much more significant than that. When God says it, through Paul in this passage that wives are to submit to their husbands because the husband is the head of his wife in the same way that Jesus is the head of the church, he's making a very, very significant theological statement. 
He's not saying that marriage is the basis of which Jesus and the church happens. It's actually the opposite. Because Jesus is the head of the church, so also husbands are to be the head of their wives, to be the leader of their wives. See, marriage isn't predicated on some, some thing that we've created in our heads. It's actually foundational about theology and how God has orchestrated human flourishing. Marriage is supposed to mirror, this is the great mystery. I'm giving the ending away right at the start. Marriage is the mirror of Jesus in the church. Not the other way around. We often kind of think about it like Jesus in the church mirrors marriage. It's completely the opposite. Here's why I know that's true. When was Jesus' blood shed for the people of God? Revelation 2 tells us that it's before the foundations of the world. So it's always in the mind of God to save people for himself with the shedding of Jesus' blood, to buy back, redeem a people for himself, and that people was to be the church. And so at the very beginning, before Adam and Eve were even created, God knows that they're going to fall, and he creates this pattern for human flourishing based on Jesus and his church, a group of people that were going to submit to him as Lord and as head for their own good and flourishing, and then he says, and marriage is going to look like that. It's the most beautiful possible human relationship because it should mirror Jesus in every way. Now, as we continue, it says, now as the church submits to Christ, so also wives should submit in everything to their, and I would add own because that's the wording that's used here, their own husbands. Ladies, you do not have to submit to every man, which is good news. But it's really important that we do a little bit of work on this everything word. Because that could be taken by some less than kind men to use this as, as some sort of servile oppression, right? Could, this, could be, this could be a proof text of like, we're going to move this into a patriarchal society in which men domineer and dominate and they get whatever they want and they have to tell their wives, this is what you have to do. What kind of nonsense and garbage is that? No, this everything word means that everything that leads to godliness. See, Paul is talking to Christian people in Ephesus, people who are now part of the unity of Christ in the church. And so he says, you wives should submit to everything it, to your husbands in the same way that the church submits to everything for Jesus. Where does Jesus lead the church? Only for its good and flourishing, never for its detriment. So if a husband, a Christian husband is leading his wife to deny Christ or to sin or to break laws or to do something that is not for her good and flourishing, she willingly says, I will not submit to that because it is not God's good design for me. And so you ladies, take that as the opportunity. If, if a husband is to, is to call you to something that you are not supposed to do, then you can say, Jesus doesn't call me to that. Paul assumes in this context that Christian love and unity is being portrayed, at least in part, in the marriage. And he's reconstituting it, reshaping it around the gospel. So, ladies, you are to submit to your husbands as you do to the Lord because it is for your good when he does his job well. Well, now what's his job? Because that, that's, in our culture, that seems really, really difficult. Like, I'm a little bit even trepidatious having to bring it up. But this is God's word, and I'm not going to apologize for it. But here's what he says to husbands. It would be a lot easier if Paul just said to husbands, husbands, don't domineer your wives. That would make more sense in this culture. But what he actually says is, husbands, love your wives. Now, because our cultural love, is, our, our marriages are primarily based on the beginning point of, our, of a romantic relationship, we misunderstand the significance of this statement. This word that he uses is agapao, where we get the word agape, or self-sacrificial love. 
And so husbands, you are to self-sacrifice your benefit because Jesus did the same thing for the church and he was willing to give himself up for her. What Paul is doing here, again, is astonishing. He's raising the value of women, saying that wives, your value is the same importance as Christ's church is to him as its head and as its Lord. And so your husband, his job is to self-sacrifice for you, putting your needs above his own, looking for ways to be self-effacing and elevate you, to humbly exalt you as the crown of his head, as the writer of Proverbs says. And then he says this, that Jesus might sanctify her, the church. And Jesus cleansed her, the church, by the washing of water, which is a reference to baptism, and by the word, which is the gospel, freedom from sin and salvation for life. So that he, Jesus, might present the church to himself in splendor, without spot or wrinkle or any such thing. That she, the church, might be holy, meaning consecrated, set apart for good purpose and without blemish. See, Jesus does this for the church. He, when we are saved by grace through faith to the, to the newness of life in the gospel, what Jesus does is he gives us this new, completely different way of living. We are to continually be in the process of looking more and more like our Savior Jesus. That's the goal, right? Like the Christian life is supposed to, we're, we're where we are, and Jesus is moving us forward in the way that we ought to look like him. And so the way that we are to do this in marriage, he says, is because Jesus loves his church this much, so also a husband should love his wife this much. Because your marriage is not based on some human relationship. Your marriage is based as it mirrors Jesus and the church. A Christian husband, your job is to elevate your wife, to elevate her interests, to elevate her benefit over your own to the point of your very life. And so he continues that in the same way, husbands should, same word, love their wives as their own bodies. Because he who loves, same word, his wife, loves, same word, himself. See, in, the, in this way, as Jesus loves the wife as his own body, what he's doing is, is he's, he's nurturing it, he's cherishing it, he's taking care of it as if the wife was his own self, his own flesh, because he is responsible to and for her. This he who loves his wife, loves himself, is to show true care for the benefit of another person. To come alongside and exalt them, to, to make sure that they are healthy and make sure that they are given everything that they need for flourishing. And this is the reason, verse 29 and 30, for nobody ever hated his own flesh, which we can translate body for the sake of the translation here, but nourishes it and cherishes it just as, notice how many times it says just as Christ you're starting to see the pattern here. You're seeing how the mystery actually fits the model. As Christ does for the church. Because we are members of Jesus' body, he's not going to lead us to something that's for our detriment. No. Doesn't mean that everything's going to be easy. We still live in a broken, sinful, busted society and busted world. But because we are members of his body, both spiritually and metaphorically, we're supposed to connect this back to Genesis chapter 2. How was Eve made? Out of the body of her husband, right? God took Adam and he said, there's something wrong with this picture. And we're going to talk about that because it's significant. He's alone. And God's trinity is, was never alone. So the only thing wrong with creation is that the man was by himself. And there was nobody like opposite him in order for him to flourish. 
So because of that, God takes the rib out of the man and actually gives him something better than the rib. He takes something out of the man and says, this flesh, you don't need that. What you actually need is better flesh. Need something like opposite. And so in the same way, marriage mirrors Jesus in the church because the wife is made from her husband's body. Now, I'm not saying that right now you're, you were made from your husband's body. I'm saying at the beginning, the way God designed this. And so because Jesus provides everything that the church needs, Ephesians chapter 1, that we've been given every spiritual blessing in Christ, so also the husband should be willing to give everything so that his wife has every spiritual blessing she needs. And then Paul quotes this from Genesis 2.24. This is from Genesis. It's from the very beginning. We're going to go there in a minute. He says, Therefore a man shall leave his father and mother and hold fast to his wife. This hold fast word is the word cleave. It's another way to translate it would to be um, unbroken and bound to his wife. And so the two will become, this is both present and future tense. So you become one flesh at the moment of marriage, and you are becoming one flesh as you sanctify yourselves in Jesus and become more and more holy to the point of finally seeing Christ at the end of time. This statement here is where we get the statements for weddings that like, you are going, you are, you are going to be one flesh, you're going to leave your mom and dad, you're going to cleave to your wife, you're no longer under their leadership, you're now under this new family leadership, and Jesus is the head of that. And that husbands, you are to love your wives in the same way that Jesus loves your church. That's, that's wedding language. Now, around here, I don't know what it is about the pandemic. We got like seven weddings at, at West Park this year. Like there's something in the water. But the number of times that I'm going to have to go through this passage with these young couples as we get ready for marriage and as I do premarital counseling is, is a pretty wonderful thing because I want to start them off right. I want them to understand that when you leave mom and dad, you're becoming a new family entity where Jesus is also part of that relationship. Where, well, where your, your direction and your, and your call no longer comes from your parents' authority, but it comes from Jesus' good design and authority. And this is what it actually means. This is the mystery that Paul is talking about. That a man shall leave his home, be cleft to his wife, and the two will become, at that moment and in process, one flesh. And he says this mystery of marriage is profound. It doesn't make sense. But how could it? We, we're trying to think of a, an eternal perspective in our tiny little human brains that don't understand things all the time, right? And so Paul says, and I'm saying that this refers to Christ and the church. That marriage refers to Christ and the church. That's what its goal is. Its goal is to present marriage to the world as, as a way to see how Jesus loves the church. How we invite people into relationship with Christ for the benefit of the church. That they would be saved by him in his grace through faith by the bloodshed of Jesus for their own benefit to become part of the church. And so we are to mirror that. And he continues, kind of in verse 33, giving a little bit of a, a wrap-up statement. However, I'm saying, let each one of you love, same word, agapao, his wife as he loves himself. And let the wife see that she respects or submits, what does that word mean again? To willingly come under and support her husband. All right, so that's, that's really good. There's the text, and we're going to go through the implications of this now because it's important that we get it. Now, let me say this up front. There is not enough time left in history for me to unravel everything that this has to do with in every particular situation. 
So we're going to keep at the forefront of our minds that this ideal given by God is for our good and flourishing, but it is based on Christian marriages. It is based on a Christian marriage where the husband loves Christ and is willing to submit to his lordship and leadership, and where the wife is a Christ follower looking to submit to the lordship and leadership of Jesus as well. And so we look at this, but we have to go to the beginning to understand how we got to this spot. Because have you ever wondered why marriage doesn't work exactly the way that you think it should work? (laughs) Ever had any conflicts? Who's, Who's married? Hands up. Yeah. Any conflicts today? Right? It's, any conflicts? If, if it wasn't today, it's because you woke up at 9.55 and you rushed to get here. Uh, if you had conflicts yesterday, you know what I'm talking about. Why doesn't marriage work the way that we think that it should work? How come we're always at odds with one another and combating things? Well, we need to start at the beginning and get the whole picture so that we can understand that. Genesis 1 and 27 says this. God created man which is just the word Adam, Adam, in his own image, which means likeness. In the image of God, he created him. I used the wrong color. Him, Adam. But male and female, God created them. So what's different about a man and a woman? They're different. Male and female. What's different about their value? Absolutely nothing. Because they're both made in the image and likeness of God. They're both image bearers of the Lord. That's the distinctive for you as your value set. You're not, you're not better or worse because of the things that you do or the things that you may think, but because you are made in the expressed image of God, male and female, completely equal, and yet distinctively different. Male and female. And it doesn't mean that when Adam is made first, it's not to show that he's more valuable to God because we know that Eve was made to support and come under his headship and lordship. And the way that that happened was here in Genesis chapter 2. Because the man, Adam, he was the only one there, gave names to all the livestock and to the birds of the heavens and every beast of the field. But for Adam, there was not found a helper fit for him. Both of these words, helper and fit, are terrible translations. They're really, really bad. Here's why. This word, helper, is the Hebrew word, oh, I can't spell anymore. Let me bracket that up. Technology, it's great, right? Uh, Ezer. Want to know what Ezer means? It means strong helper. So if anybody's thinking like, oh, well, you're trying to put women down and make women feel inferior. No, 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 no. You were made because men needed a strong helper. There was not somebody suitable for him. So women were made and given to their husbands in this unifying thing called marriage to replicate the vision of Jesus and the church because there was something lacking. This word easer is actually most commonly used for how God helps his people through times of difficulty in the Old Testament. So wives, as you are united to your husbands, you you are actually fulfilling what is lacking in them. And then it uses the word fit, which is terrible translation. Some translations say suitable, which is also not a good translation. A better translation is this, like, opposite. Now, because that seems paradoxical to our English minds, it doesn't really make sense. How can it be the same, but, but not be the same, right? 
Well, if Adam had somebody who was for himself and he wasn't good enough on his own, then what would make us think that two of him would be the solution? No, it's, it doesn't actually fix the problem because there was not a like opposite strong helper made for him. God needed to make a like opposite strong helper for the man. And so we have this beautiful thing, and this is exactly what happens in all of creation. Opposites attract. Think about a magnet. I should have brought some magnets. It would have been a really good visual illustration. Pretend I've got magnets, okay? I'm going to pick them up. We've got a positive magnet and a positive magnet. And what happens when I try and put them together? They bounce off. Why? Because they're not like opposite. They're the same. It doesn't work. They're not complementary. And so when God gives man, woman, and they are united in marriage, one flesh in this union, God is showing us that there should be harmony and flourishing and beauty to this human relationship that is to mirror Jesus and the church. But why is it that we just can't do this right? Because sin enters the world. But before we go there, Kathy Keller and Tim Keller, see I told you I was going to quote Tim Keller again. They wrote this amazing book. It's right here. It's called The Meaning of Marriage. It's very, very good. Uh, we read it with our life group last year. It is a book that I've read every year that I've been married, at least in part, and I would highly recommend it to everybody who is married. You need it. She says this, marriage in the biblical view addresses the chasm between the sexes. Marriage is a full embrace of the other sex, so distinct, different. But because male and female are suitable, like opposite to each other, both are radically different, and yet, what's the word that they use? Incomplete without the other. Incomplete without the other. So this harmonious relationship was designed by God for humanity in the same way that Jesus has given and bought for himself his bride. We're supposed to show that we need each other. But sin breaks this relationship. And in Genesis 3, sin enters the world. Eve uh, is, is tempted by the devil. She sees that the fruit is good for eating, and she takes it, and she eats it, and sin enters the world, and her husband, who should have been doing his job but wasn't, blows it, not protecting his wife, and eats it as well. And sin enters the world. So this is actually the reason why there is difficulty. Here's what it says. So because sin enters the world, God says to the woman, I, God, will surely multiply your pain in childbearing. In pain you shall bring forth children. But he doesn't say, I'm going to cause the next part. He says, because of the curse, your desire, the wife's desire will be contrary or conflicted to her husband, but he shall rule over you. So why the patriarchal domineering societies of our history as people? It's part of the curse. It's part of the curse. It's part of sin entering the world that breaks and mars human relationship. Here's the thing, though. The only relationship for sin to break at this point was one human relationship. Just the relationship of marriage. There's no children around. So everything that's broken about our society flows from this brokenness of marriage. There won't be agreement in marriages when we don't follow Jesus. Instead, there will be conflict. He, as the husband, will not lovingly lead and humbly exalt her, but will instead rule over her, and she will desire to rule over her husband, supplanting the role that God has designed for her. This is obvious that this is not the way that this should be. 
In her fallen condition, the wife will overstep the authority and, and boundaries that God has given to her. And in his fallen state, the husband will shirk his responsibilities and not take care of his wife in the same way that Adam didn't take care of his own. So why is there conflict? Because sin is existent. Praise God that Jesus is going to eradicate that when we all become his bride at the end. There will only be harmony. There will only be beauty. All right, so let's understand this a little bit more. Here's what we've got. Wives, you are to submit to your own husbands as you do to Jesus. If he's leading you to do something that is not for your good and for benefit, you lovingly say, I'm sorry, I can't follow that because it's against what Jesus has already commanded. Your first allegiance is to Christ. And Christ's design for you is always for your good and flourishing. Women, wives, I keep on saying women, but I mean wives. Wives, you should never be forced to submit because this role is not servile oppression. You are submit to your husband in all things that don't involve being led to sin, denial of Christ, or lead to your abuse. If it's an abusive situation, you call your pastors and we will deal with it. But when marriage is done well, wives, you actually play the Jesus role in your marriage. I'm going to show you why. The Jesus role being that Jesus humbly came to earth and was willing to come under the authority of his father to do the thing that God required to have happen. For salvation to come to anybody, Jesus had to be willing to submit to the role that God had called him to submit to. Coming to earth, the God being very God in human flesh, fully God, fully man, comes to earth, dies our death in order to purchase a bride back to God. So ladies, in, their, in this amazing... In this amazing book, The Meaning of Marriage, it says, if it's not an assault on the divinity and the dignity of Jesus, the second person of the Godhead, to submit, because he does, and assume the role of servant, then how could it possibly injure me, this being Kathy, as she explains it, to be asked to play out the Jesus role of submission in my marriage? How could it possibly injure you if you're being like Jesus? Wives, when you willingly submit yourself to your own husbands, there will be greater harmony in your marriage, greater spiritual fruitfulness, and greater delight. Now to husbands, you are to love like Jesus. How did Jesus love the church? Died for it. What's the call of the New Testament disciple? Pick up your cross daily and die. What's the call to men who are husbands in the church? Pick up your family daily and die for their benefit. This is way harder to do than it is to say. But husbands are to love their wives because Christ loved the church that he gave himself up for her, sanctifying her with washing of water in the word. So he might present his bride to God as pure and holy, as blameless. Because he who loves himself loves or he who loves his wife loves himself. Three times in this text, husbands are told to love their wives. In the same way, the Kellers write this, we know what kind of behavior the husband has been called on to imitate. To what role must he submit? Because the husband has to submit as well. It's in the very previous verse before we get into this thing on marriage. Submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. To that of Savior as servant leader who uses the authority that God has given him and the power that is due his, his role to express a love that doesn't even stop at dying for his beloved. 
Husbands, when you self-sacrifice, using your authority to serve and to exalt your wife, you are doing the role of Jesus in your marriage by exalting her, by making her holy, by giving her opportunity for growth. Now, this doesn't mean that husbands can make their wives spiritual in, in any form whatsoever. Jesus, through the power of the Spirit, does that. But do you know what this does mean? Is that husbands, it is your responsibility to ensure an atmosphere and the opportunity for your wives to grow in faith. So maybe it's a Sunday morning, you're like, I don't want to go to church today. Your husband goes, sweetie, this is for our good and for our benefit. I don't want to get invested in a small group because that means I'm going to have to know people. No, you got to do this because it's for your good. I don't want to make this decision. I don't, I don't want to. It's for your benefit. That should be the way that this goes. Wives in our marriages should feel valued, protected, cherished, and humbly exalted, able to flourish under the authority given to their husbands. And when you do that, there will be greater harmony and delight in your marriage. So what if this uh, little umbrella graphic? Because if you got the notes as you came in, you're probably like, what the heck is this thing about? It's not even raining. It's a beautiful day outside. Here's what we're looking at. This one over here is children. And Pastor Kevin's going to be talking about that next week, of how children need to come under the leadership of their parents. So we're primarily going to be talking about these three here. The first one is Christ. Because he's the head overall. He sets the image for what marriage is supposed to be. And he does it in a self-sacrificing way. Giving himself over for the benefit of the church. To the point of losing his own life in order to purchase back a people for God. To redeem us for the benefit of what we need most. The relationship with the Lord. And so Jesus says, husbands, I'm going to give you some of this authority. Some because we have to submit to Jesus in everything. We only submit to our husbands based on what Jesus has commanded our husbands to lead us in. Husbands are to love their wives self-sacrificially, using their authority to elevate their wives, to create value in them, giving them the opportunity for growth and spiritual flourishing, to help them become everything that God had originally intended for Adam and Eve to be before sin enters the world. And so under the loving leadership and headship of the husband, a wife in a marriage should be able to willingly submit herself to that role and to that leadership because it's for her own good. It's for her own flourishing. It's God's good design. And when this happens properly, this whole thing starts to reflect and mirror Jesus' love for the church. And you know what happens when people see Christian marriages who don't have a Christian marriage? one that flourishes, they, want, they go, why is your marriage different? Oh, it's because Jesus. Why, what does Jesus have to do with your marriage? Everything. Everything. When we play our roles in marriage, both the husband and the wife actually get to play the role of Jesus. It's this, it's this beautiful dance, this weird difference Remember how uh, when it says when we were created that we were made male and female. There's a distinction, but the value is the same. We're supposed to play our role in this way that does this beautiful dance. When the steps are right, it looks awesome. Ever watched one of those uh, dancing shows? What's, what's the one with the celebrities? Dancing with the Stars. Is that still on TV? I, I, obviously, this is my favorite show, of course. Uh, <laughs> they, they teach each other how to dance, right? If you don't learn the steps and you don't play your role, then what happens in a dance? 
You do what happens when I dance. You step on people's feet, and you knock people over, you spill a drink, and it becomes a whole thing. Then you're the guy on Facebook at the wedding afterwards who's like, remember that guy at the wedding? Don't invite him to the next one. <laughs> no, when we do the dance well, when we play the role that God has called us to, it leads to this beautiful reflection of Jesus' love for the church that when people see that marriage, I can think of a few in our church. Mrs. Kimberly and, and Ryan have this kind of marriage. They have a kind of marriage that I want to emulate. The, the couples in my small group have the marriage that I want to emulate. Our mentor couple has a lifelong marriage. That's what I want to emulate. Why? Because they do the dance well. They play their role under Jesus' good design and his lordship. In the same book, The Meaning of Marriage, Tim McCarthy say, both men and women play the Jesus role in marriage. Jesus in his sacrificial authority, that's for husbands, giving up your right to the authority in order to benefit your spouse. And Jesus in his sacrificial submission in the same way that he submits to the father, wiser to submit. Not because you are less, because you're the easer because you're the one who is the strong helper making up for the lack that was found in the very first man. There's nothing more beautiful than that. God sees a need and he fulfills it with the most perfect possible solution. And it's all supposed to help us understand that marriages flourish in Jesus. Let's pray. Father, I know that this is not an easy passage for a lot of people. I know this is difficult for some of us to wrap our minds around and it's even more difficult to live out. And I know I didn't give a whole lot of specifics about how this is to play. So I would simply ask God that you would stir our hearts and our affections to know how we ought to play the role of Jesus in our marriages. For those who are not yet married, Father, I would pray that you would help them find suitable mates who are the like opposite of one another that encourage and embolden each other to follow Jesus faithfully. For those whose marriages feel like they might be on the, the end or the brink or the, the last straw, the, the, the hair that's going to break the camel's back, I pray in the mighty, powerful name of Jesus because of his shed blood that you would restore this marriage. That they would ask for help that they would find hope and flourishing in it, and that they would find that flourishing in Jesus alone. May West Park, Lord Jesus, I pray, be a church that is marked with faithful marriages. Would our relationships, would our marriages of this church be such a sweet testimony of the gospel of Jesus that it'd be impossible for anybody to think otherwise. Be gloried in Jesus because you are worthy of it all. I pray it in your excellent name. Amen.